This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. At the end of the show, I smashed the six TVs and I came off the stage in Boston and uh, immediately in front of me was Kurt Cobain saying, I love the way you smash the television, man, you know. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Vintage Rock Pod, the podcast series that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. This is the podcast series where we interview rock stars from the classic golden age of rock, from the 60s, the 70s and the 80s, and we hear all about their wonderful stories. I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Now, we've got a great interview this episode with a man from one of the leading punk bands of the late 70s. They had some great hits and have been held up as inventors of pop punk. The catchy hooks and subject matter certainly differentiated them from the crowd back then and do so now, to be honest, as well. There's some great stories in there about Sex Pistols and Nirvana, among others, and it's coming up very, very soon. Quick heads up, though, no Maudi this week. I think he's away cleaning demons from swimming pools or whatever it is these celeb rockers in LA get up to. But uh, we'll have him back on next week's show, that's for sure. Sure. A quick shout out as well to some listeners as well this week. Had some great feedback from last week's interview with Scorpions frontman Klaus Mein. That was a great interview. Very, very funny he was as well. If you've not had a chance to give that a lesson, uh, listen yet, definitely recommend you spin back to episode 8 and do so. It's brilliant. A lot of discussion around what the band's best album took place on Vintage Rock Pod's Facebook page. Richard Ruth, David Wirt, Ian Parker, Mike Weil, uh, Ronnie Melton, among others, all getting involved on there. Corey Burmeister, Adam Fiona Ingleby and Susie Q for all their shares on Facebook. Facebook, that's much appreciated. Thank you to My Rock Mixtapes on Instagram and Twitter for pushing the podcast too. And also to Dire Straits Blog, they turned my interview with the band's bassist, John Ilsley, from uh, episode two into an article on their website and they pushed it around places as well, which was very nice. Got a few hits on the interview on the YouTube as well. So thank you very much to all those guys and to everybody else for interacting this week. It's always very much appreciated. And thanks to listeners in Bulgaria, Denmark and Romania for stretching the podcast reach to 27 different countries now. Absolutely incredible. I thank you all. If you've not done so yet, hit like and follow on our social media accounts. Search for Vintage Rock Pod on all the usual places. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Just come along and say hello. I'd love to chat with you. Right, so let's kick off this episode and start where we always do, finding out what classic rock stars are hitting the headlines this week. And we do so with friend of the show, author and journalist Tim Peacock. So let's find out how he's getting on. I'm all right, thanks, Paul. I'm working away. Yeah, doing all right. Keep him busy. That's what we like to see. Keep him busy. Um, the, the the question on everyone's lips, though, Tim, is uh, did you get a chance to listen to the new ACDC album? I know you've been a busy boy, but did you get a chance to listen? 
Only once, only once. But I, I can't really pick out any specific tracks that I like because it was only a very, very quick listen. But it sounded good. It sounded consistent. And, um, yeah, it is. Angus was saying in another interview, he was saying, well, it's the ACDC sound. It's what everyone wants. We've not deviated. Fair play to him. It, it sounds good. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was, it was rocking, certainly. It, it's what I think people would want from them. Uh, you made this point last week, Paul, and I, I do think so. I, I don't think they can go far wrong with that. I don't really think we want them to make like a dubstep album or something at this stage now, really. So, you know. <laughs> no, no psychedelic now. No, 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 nothing too much like that. So, but I will check it out again more next week. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, what have you got lined up for us this week in the news then, Tim? Right. Okay. Let's start with. With um, Frank Zappa uh, this week, um, I would actually say I'm not a huge I'm not a huge uh, expert on Zappa by any means, but I think it's probably fair to say he's probably one of the biggest cult artists there's ever been. Really, I mean, long after his death, yes, he still yeah. attracts you know huge interest in people. And uh, as you've probably seen, there's a documentary about uh, Zappa that which is out. It's just called simply Zappa. Uh, it's been directed by a guy, <laughs> called, a guy called Alex Winter, and uh, it's now available on demand from uh, Magnolia Pictures in the US. Um, I know a certain amount about the background to Zappa, with, you know, working with You Discover, and um, I do know the estates are very hands-on with everything that happens in relation to them, but apparently this, this film, um, they're, they're promising... Uh, unfettered access i mean there's interviews with zappa's widow gail and various of his collaborators including the great steve vai and they've been advertising it's like being a big weekend they've been advertising it as frank's giving instead of thanksgiving in the in the us so um and there's, there's going to be a box set coming out as well next year so yeah it's that looks like an interesting one yeah certainly. yeah i'm a bit like you i was never a huge fan of frank zappa i remember at university i had a friend who was, who was massive into him so when we'd be in the common room whatever he'd be blaring out there and i always thought he was, he was very eclectic that's probably the simplest way of putting it, to be honest with you, isn't it? So yeah, he's one of those people. I think he polarizes, certainly polarizes opinion. Um, but I think he's one of those people. I suppose a sort of slightly marmite type aspect to him, if you like. But uh, it's one of those people. I think if you really love him, you really, really love him. I mean, I'm thinking of people. I know people from right across the spectrum. I mean, Joe Elliott from Def Leppard. His home studio is called Joe's Garage for a reason in Dublin. I, I'm quite good friends with the. Uh, legendary punk band the roots the roots or roots dc as they are now and i remember i was talking to segs and, and dave from the band about um the making of their class first classic album the crack with malcolm owen the one they made with their original singer and they were actually saying to me at the time we wanted it you know we were listening to a lot of zapper and we wanted that quality when we were making it. i'm thinking wow you know this is one of the classic london punk bands and they're referencing zapper i mean they i know they do listen to a lot of stuff but he really has that across the board appeal to people so so I think it's certainly going to be interesting also, Paul, about this one. Apparently, the, the film Zappa has been, it's a crowdfunding thing originally. It started, there was a Kickstarter campaign. It began in 2016, and apparently it's become the highest funded documentary in the crowdfunding site's history. So uh, there is, a, there is um, a trailer on YouTube. So if you just, just type in Zappa film on YouTube, you can have a gander it anyway. So... Sounds interesting, yeah. The box set that's coming with, there's a load of rare stuff in a box set, which is coming out, that's out in May, but I think there's actually a pre-order for that as well. If you can have a look at on Amazon and see, there's more information, so... That's that's our cult figure to start off with today. <laughs> Absolutely. So from cult figure to where, where do we go next then, Tim? 
Uh, well, we go to a much, uh, well, I'd say a household name, really, next, I would say, Paul. Um, Paul McCartney, of course, who has uh, another new album coming out shortly. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he might get somewhere one of these <laughs> yes, days, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Kanye West, of course, let's not forget, yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely right, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yes, the uh, the legendary Beatle is uh, supposed to be sitting down with uh, the actor Idris Elba shortly, and they're doing a 60, they're going to record a 60-minute special. This is for the BBC. I'm not sure what date it's going out. So it doesn't have a, pro, um, a broadcast date at the time of talking now. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, it's just going to be called um, <laughs> Wait for it, Idris Elba meets Paul McCartney. But anyway, it's supposed <laughs> to be... I bet they thought long and hard about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's right. It's supposed to be broadcast this month. Um, uh, sorry, not in December. I don't have a date. It'll be closer to Christmas. It's going to be going out on BBC Radio 2 and BBC Sounds and um, they are promising that the discussion will span the entirety of Paul's career. So I guess we're talking okay. early days of the Beatles right through to his recently his new album, which is coming out. And did you say 60 minutes? Because that's an awful lot to get into 60 minutes, isn't it? I'm thinking that myself. <laughs> yeah, it seems it seems yeah. a little bit optimistic, but um, I don't know. That's mm. what they're talking about. Um, I imagine that they will be talking about McCartney's new album. He's just been doing like a lockdown album, which is called it's called McCartney Three. Yeah, I think everyone's doing something during lockdown, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. Well, apparently this is one he's played more or less all the instruments on it, all from what I gather. But he's done a couple of these albums before McCartney and McCartney Two. You know, again, so you can follow the thread with it. But I think that very first one, I think McCartney won the first one was almost like a kind of precursor to like the lo-fi recording that people do now and that as in that he played everything on it so he's carried on with that tradition so um that's out on december the 11th so i guess the um documentary thing will probably uh, the broadcast will probably follow that so one to look out for so what have you got next for us then tim and finally tonight paul um more classic rock uh, well we talked about the beatles so the uh, the famous rivals at one time even though they were very good friends the rolling stones um they've you probably heard, did you see that they'd launched an, um a, a new memorabilia store recently in london yes. have you seen that at all yeah carnaby carnaby nine or, yeah. Something, or something yeah yeah that's right. It's called RS Number Nine, and it is in London's Carnaby Street. They opened the shop physically in September, and uh, one of my colleagues from You Discover, who actually knows the Stones a little bit, is he's already been there, and he says it is very, very good. Although he does say that some of the prices are, well, certainly high end, <laughs> shall we say? Now I've only had a quick look at it, so I don't know. You know, he was saying that even like the mugs are quite expensive and so forth. So I don't know, but it's all officially sanctioned merchandise. But um, now that they've just launched an online version of it, uh, there's an e-version of it you can check out now. And uh, apparently this promises a fully immersive 360-degree virtual shopping experience. So it sounds mm. quite interesting anyway. Okay. So. okay, so if you're big fans of the Stones and you want some official merch and uh, you can't get down to London because of lockdown and all these sorts of restrictions, then... Uh, best thing to do is check out their, their virtual online store. Yeah, and apparently they've all kinds of stuff in there, Paul. There's um, lots of memorabilia. There's a lot of vinyl for sale, uh, but also limited edition accessories and giftware. And the other thing that they promise in there, there's a bespoke T-shirt customization station. So I don't know if that means you can actually go in and just start from scratch, a bit like build a bear or something. You have your oh, shirt or something. Right, and you can, okay, I suppose yeah. you can have whatever design you want on it. Uh, but I, that's one of the things they're offering. So, um, but I, I've not obviously not tried it myself, and I don't know anyone personally who's <laughs> who's actually tried that service out. But that's what they're offering anyway. So, yeah. 
That's... So many things came to my mind when you said about the shirt customization. I thought the first thing mm. was the football shirt. You know, when you have your names printed on the back, and then the second one was mm. I have my face on instead of Mick <laughs> running next to me, my face over Mick's. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a sounds like a cool idea, doesn't it? I wonder if you can actually. I'd rather like that. I'd like to be next to Charlie. I think if it was for me, Charlie Watts is a big fan. I'm a big fan of him, so <laughs> yeah. you know. So uh, was it, I think Keith, Keith himself said uh, to be the Rolling Stones, you need to have Charlie and four other people. So I mean, there you go. Can't say fair. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely no absolutely fantastic tim thank you so much for bringing us the, the latest news as you do here and uh, what where can we catch you if we want to read your work you can catch me on youdiscovermusic.com and you can catch me in record collector so when Tim mentioned it there at the time, Alex Winter, the name rung a bell with me. He's directing the Zappa documentary. Now, Alex Winter, I've just looked, he's well known to people, probably better known to people, actually, as Bill from Bill and Ted from the movies. So there you go. Thanks, as always, to Tim for coming on and sharing us the headlines from This Week in Rock. Right, it's time to hear from our Rockstar interview now, and it's the first foray of ours into the classic punk world, really. This guy was the guitarist in one of the big early bands of the UK punk movement, one of the first big punk bands to come from the north and actually make it big. He formed a cracking songwriting partnership with Pete Shelley, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Sit back and enjoy this week's interview. I'm delighted to be joined on the phone today by a guitarist who's been there, seen it and done it over the last 44 years. Welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, Steve Diggle from Buzzcocks. Hi, Steve. Hi, nice to be here. Good stuff. Now, 44 years, I mean, for a band, a punk band, you know what I mean, to have lasted so long. I mean, a lot of them crashed and burned and quickly fizzled out, but to to be around for so long, I mean, what do you put that down to? What do you put your longevity down to? Well, um... And, you know, in one way, it seems to have gone so quick. You know, if you look at it in terms of albums and stuff, I mean, we have made quite a few albums, but um, looking at it like that, you think, well, we haven't done that much over the years, but we have done a lot. Um, I mean, I mean we, we've toured all, all those years. We've toured the world for years, and um, you just sort of get in, in, in the swing of things, really. You know, I enjoy it on the road, and I enjoy making records. You know, it was what I was born to do, really, you know. You had a little dream when you was like... 16 or 17 now you might join a band or get you know get a band together and then it's become the biggest dream possible you know so i spent all my life doing it and um you know it's been amazing i get off on the crowds i mean we've done thousands of shows all around the world you know brazil australia uk you know england of course everywhere so that keeps you alive and going really you know and the fans have been like stuck with us through you know all the years and um the same about the bus culture. I mean, we were a powerful act, like, was really rocking, mate, yeah. you know? Yeah. You never had to go to a bus culture gig and ask anyone to clap their hands or stand <laughs> on the seat or something. It was just like they were kind of telling you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you see the videos and, then, and you see yourselves. I mean, you're always dripping with sweat. There's so much energy, not just from the crowd, but from yourselves as well. Well, absolutely, yeah. You know, you're kind of feeding back. It's like a cybernetic two way feedback, yeah. Um, you're getting the vibes from the crowd, you're giving the vibes. And in the middle, that, that's where you kind of meet, where everything comes alive. Because we know we've got like an hour and a half or whatever um, to generate this thing. And, uh, you know, the nature of Buzzcock songs, which is usually fast and up-tempo, mm. um, generates that. That's where you see God, the devil, and yourself and everything else in the <laughs> middle bit, you know. Um, but that gives you the excitement. And, you know, you go away feeling alive. You know, the crowd feel alive and... Uh, you know, it's inspiring for the crowd and for us, you know. So um, that's the lifeblood of doing it, really. You know, 
so it's it you know it's forty four years, but it's uh, it's never been a problem. You know, it's what I signed up to do, really. You know, Brilliant. although I didn't know that at the time, where you don't know where it's going to take you. You think, well, if you get a few shows, a few gigs, uh, see where it goes from there. Because we never really planned anything as such, but um, all of a sudden, you know, I mean, things just took off, and um, and and we had you know some great songs, as you know. So I mean. You know, we did a single. It was like, wow, this is the buzzcocks on the map. You know, <laughs> so we started in, you know, well, we brought the Sex Pistols to Manchester, so we were there at the beginning of punk. I was going to say, uh, yeah, your first show was, was on the bill with the Sex Pistols, wasn't it? In Manchester. Yeah, yeah. well, we brought them there because uh, I think it was Howard, when they were in the band, um, he he'd, he'd saw them in a like, Chelsea, little Chelsea club. It was unknown, really. And he said, we'll put a poster up and... Uh, in Manchester, and uh, and we ended up opening up for them, and um, all the journalists came down to see the Sex Pistols. I'm surprised that there was a band from Manchester there. You know, yeah. like we came on and blasted out 20 minutes. So, you know, they were surprised, but that kind of put us on the map because they reviewed that. You know, they all thought it was starting in London, but we kind of had the same idea and feelings in Manchester. You know. And that kind of put Manchester on the map, yeah. and then the provinces on the map, really, because you know people in Sheffield and Scotland and all other places thought, you know, we can start punk banding our our own town. So it was very inspirational, really. In that way, because it's like, well, if the Buzzcocks can do it in Manchester, I'm going to London at the time. You know, it was like, well, we could do it. When we went on those early tours, you know, every um, every town came alive, you know. All those seventies discos were taken over and, and suddenly become like punk venues, mm. you know. I mean, we didn't know we, we kind of played, you know. We was on the White Riot tour and all that, big bigger venues. But uh, you'd go to these little clubs after, and go, this was run down, and uh, all of a sudden everybody's come alive because they've taken over the place and made it a punk venue. So, it very exciting times, you know. And um, you said it was really exciting times. I mean, what was it like amongst the punk bands at the time? Then, I mean, obviously you did bits with the Sex Pistols. Was was the camaraderie about what you were doing at the time? Or was the rivalry, or was it somewhere in between? Oh no, we, we, we was kind of like mates. You know, I mean, the Sex Pistols loved us. You know, they loved what we were doing because it was it wasn't it wasn't like them. You know what I mean? Them and the Clash as well. You know, the Clash loved us too. You know, but so we all became like. The school of '76 really incited all that, you know, and um, so you know I knew the Clash well and um, and the Pistols well and all that stuff, and also the Jam and the Damned, you know, that was the nucleus of punk rock in '76 and '77. All the other ones came later, you know, yeah. but that was our school. And if we ever if I ever run into any of those, we all kind of know where we started from, you know. Um, so there is that. Come around there. There wasn't any rivalry there with all that then, you know. But what happened from there? Then it was like suddenly you had to start making records, and uh, and so each band got their own, got their own identity, you know, because everybody was just oh you're a punk, aren't you, and all that kind of stuff. And then nobody knew really what it was or what it was supposed to be doing. And then you know the Clash put singles out, we put singles out. And, each band had their own identity, you know. Brilliant. And you signed with uh, United Artists, and as fate would have it, it was on the day that Elvis died. But uh, from that point on, um, you guys just kind of worked non-stop, didn't you? You put out some, like, three albums in, in just under two years, didn't you? And you toured, like you said, yeah. the UK and Europe and America as well. I mean, how was that at the time? It must have been exhausting. Oh, it was, but 
it, won't, it was one minute he was doing nothing, and by the age of 20, you know, suddenly, like you say, it all took off, and it was like, we'd go in a rehearsal room, and, you know, Pete'd have some songs, and I'd have some songs, and we'd go, oh, it goes like this, and we've got to be at the pub half past five, the open, <laughs> you know, and it's closing afternoon. And so we'd bang these songs out, but the band was so tight and good, it was like, you sound the band your song, and, and it was like, okay, it goes a bit like this. And we had them sorted out, you know, we didn't spend days sweating about this stuff. But it, you realise the magic and the chemistry of the band at the time um, could pop these songs away really easy, you know. And um, um, When you're young, you know, and you have that, it's, it's kind of like this magical self-belief somehow. But, it, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, we'll, we'll bang the hit single out and then we'll be in the pub at half five. <laughs> I can't invite you, you know. <laughs> didn't, didn't worry about it so much. Um but we knew what we had, you know. There was a lot of off the ball with who Peter was and who I was, you know. You'd kind of do that bit at home. So when you came in with your chords and the chorus and some words you were working on, it was like you'd, you'd done a lot of the, the internal work at home or, you know, hanging around with yourself. So there was all that. But those songs came together and, like you say, we'd, we'd put singles out and then they wouldn't be on the albums, most of them. Um, so we do the albums as well. So it was, yeah, it was very uh, prolific uh, uh, in those times. And then we'd go off on a 32-day tour. You know, we used to do about 82 dates a year and more, uh, as well as being in the studio. So I can't remember being at home, really. <laughs> <laughs> and is that one of the things that uh, contributed to, to the, the first breakup of the band then? I think it was in the end, yeah. I mean, it, it's inevitable, really. What happens is, you know, a party can't last forever and... Um, from touring Britain and Europe, suddenly, you know, you, you go into America and places like that. And you don't really break America. America breaks you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we'd had some wild tours there. I mean, it was full on rock and roll, you know. And uh, um, But so it takes us a long while to get, get around the world, in a way, doing these tours. And then you'd, um, like I say, we'd you know, be like, well, when it, you know, it's, let's do the next single or the next album. So, yeah, it took a lot of your time and we were together a lot, a lot of the time. Um, and um, there were some pretty wild times there. So eventually you're going to kind of burn out, really. And that's, that's kind of what happened after, I think it was uh, five years or something like mm -hmm. that. Five years of intensity, you know. Um, but you wouldn't change it for the world, you know what I mean? It was just like, like the painter Turner, he tied himself to the mast and went out to feel the elements in the sea, and that's what I thought it was, felt like, you know, bring it all on, you know. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it, it, when you get an opportunity, you've just got to take it and realise, you know, we just we just took it all in our stride in a way, but um, you've got to have a lot. It's one thing learning an instrument, but you've got to have a lot of stamina and strength to deal with all the other stuff, you know. So you guys got back together after a few years um, apart and then you, you went from strength to strength. You carried on recording albums and touring and you, you toured with some huge acts. I mean, you you, you were on one of the last tours of, with Nirvana, weren't you, at the stage in 94? Yeah, we did the last tour with them. I mean, we, we were uh, we were in America and um, we were playing in Boston. We were doing like a 40-day tour of America. It was like, We had an album called TTT, Trade Test Transmission Tour. So we had all these televisions behind. I used to smash six televisions every night, did it? All around Britain, <laughs> Europe, and all around America. So at the end of the show, I smashed the six TVs, and I came off the stage in Boston, and the, 
immediately in front of me was Kurt Cobain saying, I love the way you smash the televisions, man, you know. <laughs> so I told him there was an art to it because I got electric. I nearly died of electric shock on one <laughs> show. And um, he said he's only smashed one television. I said, you've not lived, man. I'll show you the art of doing it. <laughs> so it implodes and the smoke comes out. So um, we did that tour in the end. Sam shot himself at the end. But uh, we got one with all Nirvana, you know, with Dave and... Uh, Pat Smear and Chris Novoselic, you know, yeah. we had a great time with them, you know, uh, in and out of each other's dressing rooms and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that was a, they was big fans of the, of the band as well, you know. Fantastic. Um, but, you know, Buzzcocks had a very unique sound and, uh, you know, we were very distinctive, really. Yeah, yeah you, you you were almost, uh, well, not almost, you were, you were your songs were a lot more um, intellectual in, in subject matter and lyrics and things like that than your stereotypical what you class as a punk band, wouldn't you? Yeah, and we had, like, a few discordant chords because we was, like, into crowd rock and different things like that, you know, where... Uh, we was into um, experimental stuff, you know. When I was 16, I used, you know, I'd, I'd go on a Saturday night and my mother, would, uh, she'd be hoovering up the next day outside my bedroom and I'd have the hangover. <laughs> so I recorded her once on my 1970s big stereo and played the, the, the hoover, the vacuum cleaner back at her, you know, <laughs> 100 watts. And um, I realised, wow, that's white noise, you know, and um, you can record a hoover. <laughs> Which I did on my solo. I, I was telling this story in the studio and I did my solo on Inner Space Science a few couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And so we had a Hoover on the track. <laughs> <laughs> Good memories. <laughs> yeah. So I mean it all comes around again if you see what I mean. Good stuff. And I read a quote from I read a quote from Johnny Mar saying that on autonomy, that riff, dun, 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 dun. Mm -hmm. he said, when I heard that, he said that I knew that was the new riff of Manchester, you know, <laughs> uh, a modernistic, you know, call with a, a, the new sound, you know, which I thought, oh, that's a good compliment. I never it really is. like that, but yeah. it, it is kind of, a, you know, for that time as well, it was kind of, you know, different and futuristic and experimental you know definitely yeah. uh, now just looking at now then um, you, you've released a, a fantastic box set I mean, six CDs in there it's got 137 tracks there's 83 previously unreleased ones on there as well it's called Late for the Train live and in session um, it's got an absolute ton of brilliant material live stuff going from many different years and stages and um, it's absolutely tremendous now you've been heavily involved in this haven't you yeah I mean uh, we were speaking about what we were doing in lockdown and that was one of the things we was kind of talking to Cherry Red Records about this stuff they was asking if we got anything um, and we did a, a box set of like the last four albums called Sell You Everything and then of course it was like well we found some demos we put on there then it was like oh well these these radio stations and these uh, these, these uh, proper 24 track live recordings of mm -hmm. shows and stuff so um, during the lockdown, because, you know, we can't do anything, it was like, well, let's put all that together, because, you know, well, a lot of fans were asking for that, you know, is anything in the can? We get us that a lot. So, yeah, been, we've been trolling through all that stuff and come up with this thing of all, all like, the radio sessions yep. and, uh, and the live gigs, late for the train, yeah. So uh, that's kind of like the companion now to, like, the last four or five albums we had as the box set sell you everything so there's these two things which for a Buzzcocks fan you've got a lot of material there yeah yeah it's absolutely phenomenal <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And then you were chatting as well, like you said, just before the start there, that um, like a lot of musicians during lockdown, it's been difficult because you can't get out on the road and play for the fans, which is what you love to do. But on the other hand, we're going to have an amazing 2021 because the amount of bands that are going to come out with new music is going to be phenomenal. And and you said, you've re- you, well, you've not recorded, but you've, you've written enough great material for two albums. So you're going to have to kind of hone that into one now, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I'll have enough for other things. I'm hoping to put some singles out and then albums, you know, singles perhaps not on the album and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm hoping to start recording that in February. Um, We did have a single out, Gotta Get Better and Destination Zero. I like the B-side better, really. (laughs) Even a rock book. Um, But what I want to do with the the next batch of singles I do is make deliberate B-sides, if you like, because... Remember growing up, you'd hear things on jukebox. The B-side was always a bit weird. You know? Yeah, yeah. So rather than try and make two hit singles or something, you know, like A-side ones, I want to do some weird B-sides, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you've got like a classic A-side and then, then something weird on the B-side, you know. Bit of experimenting. And yeah, a bit more experimental and a bit weird. It's like, well, that's definitely the B-side, you know. But get into something that way with it, you know, bring someone else to the table rather than, like, just trying to write some, you know, commercial hit or something, you know. Absolutely. Which we never did anyway. We always just sat down and did what we did. They only came in because people voted with their feet. But, yeah, so we're we're doing that. We had the Got to Get Better single out. And then people loved it, you know, buying it on the road and in the shops and downloading it and everything. And then, of course, the COVID came in. So got a lot of stuff. And, like you say... I think every band in the world can't wait to get out there and play their new material and uh, and get touring again, you know. Yeah. yeah, it'd be an absolute pleasure to see you back on the road and listen to your new material. Now, Steve, thank you so much for joining yeah. us on Vintage Rock Pod. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Absolute pleasure. Hopefully see you next year. The wonderful Steve Diggle from Buzzcocks there. Remember, you can also catch the interview over on our YouTube channel. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod and you'll get it on there along with all the other interviews and stuff like that we've done too. Now, with such a long history, it's never easy trying to pick a top five with some of these acts on these series, but here goes. Here's the top five Buzzcocks songs according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a track released in 1980 from the album A Different Kind of Tension. It's catchy and hooky and has a really bouncy bass line. And number five is I Believe. At number four is a sing-along staple that the Buzzcocks were brilliant at. This came from their first album, Another Music in a Different Kitchen, and was released as a single in 1978. At number four is I Don't Mind. At three is the first track the band released to the world, and very controversial at the time too. Didn't get a lot of airplay on radio, as you probably understand. Singer Pete Shelley in a later interview said it's the only song he listens to in shudders. But to be fair, it's a great song, and it sits at number three for me. It's Orgasm Addict. Second on our list is the band's first track to break the top 40, reaching number 37 in 1978. Didn't originally appear on a studio album, but later showed up on repressings of another music in a different kitchen. It's another of those irrepressibly catchy, upbeat punk numbers that even appeared on one of the Guitar Hero video games. At number two is What Do I Get? And at number one is perhaps the obvious choice, but it is a masterpiece of the generation from the album Love Bites. Enemy named it the best song of 1978 and a cover of the track featuring legends like Roger Daltrey, Robert Plant, David Gilmore and Elton John, among others, was released in 2005 as a tribute to the great John Peel. It topped out at number 12 in the UK charts too. The number one Buzzcock song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is the wonderful Ever Fallen In Love With Someone You Shouldn't Have. 
There you go, a great list of tracks there from a wonderful band. Check them out if you're not too familiar. As always, let me know your thoughts on that selection. Do you agree or disagree with that list? I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on all the social media channels. Search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube and let me know. There you go, another brilliant episode of Classic Rock Musings. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast series wherever you're listening to this show. Give us a review and a rating too as well. That all helps. Tell your friends and spread the word about the podcast little heads up about what's coming up in the next episode then we're changing direction we're going to speak to an incredible songwriter who's been inducted into the songwriters hall of fame over in america two of his songs appear on the biggest selling album in american history and as you'd expect he's got some great stories about working with one of the biggest bands of all time until episode 10 then take it easy and keep listening to your rock music and if you come across anyone who isn't a fan just tell them my music is better than yours take care